This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland. The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City Council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on AT&T UVerse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to our June 17, 2019 meeting of City Council. Please stand and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, Selena, will you please call roll? Here. Here. Councilman Brown Wilhelm. Here. Councilman Hall. All right. Thank you. Okay. Is there anyone in council who has a that has a conflict of interest with anything on the agenda this evening? Okay. Then seeing none, we'll move on to the consent agenda. All resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate consideration of these items unless a council member or citizen so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda as indicated. If there is even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further motion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. Can we have a motion to approve the consent agenda? So moved. Second. Okay, first and second. Would anyone like anything removed from the consent agenda? Anyone from the public like an item removed from the consent agenda? All right, then seeing, seeing none, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 4-0. This evening we have two public hearings and both of them have to do with zoning and Mr. Marshall is going to be leading the discussions for us on both of them but let's just talk about a public hearing for a second. So with a public hearing we hear the staff presentation after the staff um, presentation is completed council has an opportunity to ask the staff member um, questions. Um, once that is done, we will open up the public hearing and members of the public can speak either on behalf of or against um, the 
the request. And when you do that, you need to come up, stand on the blue mat, address your questions to council. The, the questions go to council and um, not, not to the public. And when we're done with that, then we'd close the public hearing and then that gives us an opportunity to deliberate. So with that, Mr. Marshall, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Mayor and good evening members of council. Um, the first zoning petition we have this evening is number 625 which is the request by Osmond Rentals. Its location is at 7100 Sturgeon Avenue and the subject area is just under 25 acres. Uh, presently it is zoned Larkin Township zoning. Um, this parcel was actually recently annexed in, uh, into the city limits and therefore it's time to apply a city zoning district to that. Uh, the proposal is actually coming on behalf of the petitioner, so they've requested um, that council and, and the city consider um, a zoning district, which would be RB multiple family. And then they've offered two conditions to that. Um, just a bit of a kind of explanation. Conditional zoning is a type of zoning that allows for an applicant to voluntarily offer conditions that would restrict or otherwise uh, reduce the intensity of a zoning district. And so it's, it's very uncommon that we have conditional zoning applications that come forward to us. A lot of times we have just an RB district or just an RC district. Um, but it's not uncommon either. In fact, I think the last time we dealt with conditional zoning was out on Waldo Avenue where the Primrose Senior Living Facility is um, currently being uh, finalized. So conditional zoning, again, it's voluntary app, um, conditions that are offered by the applicant uh, to reduce or otherwise restrict um, the type of use or um, in this case, the dimensions um, or density that would be allowable on the site. So with that, the applicant has offered two conditions, one limiting the residential dis density to three units per acre, and the second being that no building would be taller than 28 feet and two stories in height. Looking at the subject area, this is a unique shaped parcel um, that has frontage on two streets. You have Sturgeon Avenue off to the east of the extent of the parcel. You also have Letts Street to the south. Um, you have a small frontage of Let Street here, as well as a, a little bit of a tail that um, comes down between these two properties that both are out in Larkin Township still. Um, you then on Sturgeon Avenue, um, to the west of Sturgeon Avenue, have a sizable amount of frontage here, the largest por por uh, portion of frontage, and then just on the other side of this homestead, um, a, uh, or home on, to the north of that is additional frontage that you have on Sturgeon Avenue. On the back side, and the unique um, kind of western portion of the site uh, really follows the extent of the Sturgeon Creek, and so it winds its way through here um, on the eastern side of Winding Creek Estates, which is the development that you see here with Winding Creek Drive and Mammoth Pines Drive. Um, but then on the, um, but that is, is what really um, forms the western boundary of, of this parcel. When we zoom in on the site, you can see that um, wooded area does it still exist along um, and the surrounding areas of the creek itself. Um, you do have a larger area that is um, uh, grass and vacant. This is a site that's been used for a number of different uses, soil mining, um, other types of um, operations that have gone on on this site um, over the years. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about that in detail, but currently there's been a, a large amount of fill that's been placed within the site and it has been grassed over. So what you see in the brown shades, my cursor comes back up, um, is by and large area that is vacant with again the frontages on Sturgeon Avenue and down onto Letts Road. Looking at the zoning district, you can see that the city's zoning map does not have a color applied to this parcel and that is because it's now within the city limits and we're needing to apply a city zoning district to it. But off to the west, you have RA4, which is one and two family residential. 
to the south, you have RD, which is a mo uh, mobile home park zoning district. Off to the east, you have RA1, which is your yellow shade, and then you have a strip of proper or land that's all within uh, the city airport, um, which is zoned IA industrial, and then on the other side of that in the green is the community zoning district. When we look at our future land use map, again, this is the vision that's set out within the city's master plan and establishes designations onto property. You can see that there is the medium uh, density residential district or um, designation that is applied to this property, as well as properties to the west, and then the adjacent properties that are on the western side of Sturgeon Avenue. <coughs> Surrounding to the north, you have low density residential, which is your lighter shades of yellow, and to the south, you have high-density residential, um, which is that zoning district applied to the mobile home park. Uh, the green shade is the public parks and recreation designation. Diving a little bit deeper into the medium-density residential, uh, residential designation within the master plan, um, there are specific objectives as well as intended land uses that are established within Chapter 5 of the city's master plan. Uh, the two objectives that are in particular related to this petition um, are what you see up here, which is providing a wide range of housing types and, um, and price ranges, as well as accommodation of residents and all lifestyles. Um, that, the rest of that part of the future land use designation goes on to talk about objectives for housing in and around the downtown area. Of course, we're, we're quite a bit of ways from the, from the downtown, and so these are the two objectives that would apply to this particular property. When it comes to the intended land uses, which is in the lower part of that same page in the master plan, you can see that single-family houses, um, whether detached or attached to one another, um, are envisioned. You have low-density multiple-family developments and senior housing developments. And then it goes on to explicitly say that residential dens densities in this area should not exceed 10 units per acre. One other point of consideration, and this was discussed um, at length at the planning commission level, was the extent of the 1% chance of the 100-year floodplain on this property. And one of the things that the planning commission talked about was the potential development, uh, development or developable area on this property itself. Um, you can, of course, develop within the floodplain. Um, however, there is a long list of, of uh, regulations and special um, provisions that you need to meet in order to develop. A lot of times we see developers choose not to do that and therefore stay out of that regulatory floodplain um, and develop on areas outside of that. But the reason why this was discussed at length at Planning Commission was really um, the effect that it could have on the density. If you were to cluster residential development into areas outside the 100-year floodplain, you may in fact have an effect higher densities than three units per acre, which is what the applicant is offer, offering. And when we did the calculation and we took out the portions that are just within the 100-year floodplain and we had the other areas of the property, uh, we found that it was almost closer to six units per acre. Um, but again, that is well below the 10 units per acre that's envisioned by the future land use designation. So with that, we have the RB Multiple Family Residential Zoning District. This is, of course, one of now two RB Multiple founding, uh, Family Zoning Districts. And RB is really intended to provide a variety of housing needs. Um, it's intended to be um, designed with essential services, such as public water and sewer and outdoor recreation space and recreational facilities. It should have access to roads that can adequately, adequately handle the traffic generated by such uses and that it be designated to be in compatibility with surrounding uses, especially when a multiple family zoning, uh, zoning district serves as a transitional use between single family residential development and more intensive development. 
When we look at the permitted uses by right, this is of course important because this zoning district was to go forward and they were to come forward with one of these specific uses, um, they would then be sub subjected to the site plan review process, which is by and large a checklist um, entitling them to approval if they have met all of the criteria established under the site plan procedures. Um, so with that, uses by right include fire stations, schools, parks, social service agencies. We also have uses by right with special standards which relate to density and setback distances and those would allow multiple family dwellings, two family dwellings, as well as senior apartments. Going into the review criteria, we do have 10, so stick with me. Um, but uh, the first one being that the proposed amendment is consistent with the city's master plan. Uh, staff in the planning commission felt the answer to this was yes, that the future land use map of the city's master plan identifies this property for medium density residential. Will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of the zoning ordinance? Staff believes the answer to this is yes, and that the proposed zoning would promote the intent of the zoning code, which is to seek uh, the desires of the city's master plan. Have conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted that justifies the amendment? Believe the answer to this is yes, and point to the recent annexation of the property into the city limits, therefore necessitating uh, the need to apply city zoning. Will the amendment merely grant special privileges? Believe the answer to this is no, and again point to that future land use designation for medium density residential, and um, again articulating that this is a proposed um, zoning amendment that's in line with that vision. Will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? I believe the answer to this is no and that it would result in a standard residential district, although having two conditions to it, um, it would again um, uh, place the zoning district that's used often, um, often within the city limits. Will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? I believe the answer to this is no and that the zoning petition is supported by the city's updated master plan and specifically its future land use map. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the surrounding zoning classification of land? Um, we believe the answer to this is yes and point to the properties that are most adjacent to um, the area being zoned for densities um, at, different, um, at different densities but all being residential in nature. Uh, of course you have the mobile home park to the south which is a much higher density. You have the RA4 one and two family residential density or district to the west um, which is at a higher density. And then you also have the residential development that's taken place on Sturgeon Avenue. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of the surrounding land in the city's master plan? I believe the answer to this is yes and that the applicant is wanting to apply a residential district um, that would be appropriate for multiple uh, or for medium density residential which is buffering lower densities from higher densities as you move um, from the south down to the north or to the the north down to the south, lower to higher. Could all requirements in the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the subject parcel? I believe the answer to this is yes, and that the subject parcel uh, would be able to meet um, the size and dimensional requirements of the, of the district. And then lastly, is the proposed zoning consistent with trends in land development in the general vicinity of the property in question? I uh, believe the answer to this is yes. We have seen additional residential development um, further to the west across Sturgeon Creek. Um, those all being single family homes, but they are certainly built within close proximity to one another, um, in closer proximity than to some of the other um, uh, older homes that are along Sturgeon Avenue. We also have additional development that's take place, taken place within the mobile home park that's to the south um, and continues to build out. 
So with that, we have had some public comments that have come in related to this petition. Ahead of the public hearing at the Planning Commission, we did receive one public comment in support and one public comment in opposition. Um, at the public hearing, there were three public comments that were made, by and large asking for additional information and seeking some clarification on some of the um, aspects of the petition. Um, we do have, uh, in addition to all of those, we've received two uh, written comments indicating concerns with the petition ahead of tonight's meeting. And so the nature really of all the concerns that have come up to date, um, either written concerns or ones that were um, given to Planning Commission, uh, really relate to the clustering of the density on portions of the property that are um, desirable and leaving other areas of the property that are undesirable being open space. I, I talked a little bit about that. And even if you were to cluster um, your density within um, or your buildings within the areas that are more developable and one outside that 100-year floodplain, we'd still be looking at a total of about six um, units per acre as opposed to getting higher to that 10 unit per acre, which is what the master plan prescribes as that, that height on density for medium uh, density uh, designation. The other one is the building height and pointing out um, the concern of it not being a single story. Again, the applicant offers the condition that all uh, buildings would be under 28 feet in all of our zoning districts, whether that's or for residential RA1, 2, 3, 4, as well as RB, we permit structures up to 28 feet in height. And so that's a very common height maximum. Um, and so the applicant is simply wanting to match that with other zoning districts that may be less in density, but certainly uh, the same in scale. And then lastly, there was the question related to impact of traffic. This was something the Planning Commission did discuss and ultimately determined that Sturgeon Avenue being a, um, a utilized Northwest Corridor as well as Letts and then access into the northern parts of the city limits, it's all set up for um, additional density to take place out in that area and handle that traffic. <clears throat> uh, so with that, Planning Commission did recommend at a vote of seven to two approval of the petition. They gave the following reasons, being that the proposed zoning amendment is in line with the city's master plan and its future land use map that the proposed zoning amendment is appropriate given the trend in land development, and that the proposed zoning um, multiple family residential designation is characterized by its higher proximity to traffic volume or higher traffic volume corridors being Sturgeon Avenue. <clears throat> and lastly, looking at, back at the process, Planning Commission did hold a public hearing on April 9th. They asked for additional information, uh, which was given to them on April 23rd. They rendered their decision that evening, um, and tonight is the public hearing on this. And with that, I will entertain any questions, Mayor. Okay. Any questions for Grant? I've got a couple. Okay. Uh, Go ahead, yep. Steve. Okay. okay. Um, going back to con the conditional zoning. So the, there's an agreement that there would be a limit of three units per acre, um, and that's including the, the area that's in the flood zone, right? Correct. So, and, and I, I guess, I don't know, I, we don't get too far along down the process in terms of where the houses specifically will be built yet, mm -hmm. but that, the effect of what I think there's an understanding is that there would not you would not be able to build in the flood zone then because this conditional zoning would in essence prohibit it based on the three units it would not so they would still if the petition were approved as proposed they would still have the right to be able to develop within the 100 year floodplain they would of course have to meet the high amounts of regulations for that um, but in theory they could still develop there and the zoning would not have impact on that but this is kind of the the informal understanding is where they currently plan on building 
would use up the three units per acre quota, if you will, or would there be still additional capacity left on that parcel? So, so if so, for thinking in terms of kind of what's the the easiest route to approval, say they didn't want to. Um, develop within that 100-year floodplain and they wanted just to develop on the area outside of that. Yes. Yep, that, that thought was what Planning Commission really talked about and effectively um, the, the area, the total area of where that three units per acre um, would be applied to would be the full extent of the zoning petition. And so you may have areas that are clustered higher than three units per acre, but in total stretched out across the whole area, you'd still meet that three units per acre. Yeah, obviously, I, I've got concerns. I mean, this is going to put, even if you don't build in the flood, the floodplain, you're still going to put pressure on, because there's going to be additional runoff from where it is developed going into Sturgeon Creek, and so it's going to put additional runoff into that, into that creek. Um, and so I think it's important from a flood control perspective to kind of keep as much green space as you can. And so I'm trying to understand where we're going to end up if we approve this with respect to that that concern right right and then then maybe before you answer or comment on that I, I looked at the GIS and compared it to the drawing that's in the materials and I, I probably need a, a bit of um, clarification the GIS shows and I can't tell if there's a complete overlap there's like two parcels um, identified there's one that almost looks like a pond that's it, I think it's owned by the same party um, but I'm just trying to understand how that impacts what we're talking about here today. So there's a seven, 70, it's a, the address is 7800 Perrin, uh, and then the other one is what? It's got a different color to it, and I can, I can show you, but I'm trying to understand if that's significant here or not. Okay. I did pull up the aerial, and I don't know. Um, I think what you might actually be referring to is when you look at the non-aerial, you look at just simply the base layer map on GIS, it yeah. does show a pond um, that well, it shows was there a, it shows a blue area. And I think the blue area is, is kind of this little um, bump out of the 100-year floodplain. Uh, Does that it, follow very similar? It's, yeah, there's more of, a, of a, a direct sort of vertical line behind, it must be the property that's on, on Sturgeon right there, but okay, it's a little bit larger here. than that, but basically, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. and you said it was, a, it was a, an area that was mined for sand or gravel or something? Correct. Mm -hmm. That was one of the previous uses that have been out on this site, and that did result in a, um, a lower-lying area um, many years ago. It's since been filled, um, and, um, and... And so now, the key question for me is that's not all part of this one parcel there is no two parcels that we're talking about here that's correct it's all one parcel so the extent of this yellow line is is the part is the subject parcel of what we're talking about this evening which is all just one parcel okay mm -hmm. okay um i guess any other color you can shed on the on the the floodplain versus development concern that I've had? Yes, yeah, so certainly we would go through the site plan review process after this. So if the zoning was applied and they came forward and they wanted to do development, we would have them go through the site plan review. And at that time, we would take a look at things like development within the floodplain, um, stormwater management of areas that are going to be developed. Um, we would certainly take a look, especially knowing the, the history that we have on the other side of Winding Creek and the close proximity of the residences that were built to the floodplain. Um, we'd certainly pay attention to the elevations of where the buildings are going to be built in relation to the elevation of the creek and the elevation of the 100-year floodplain. 
Um, but all of that would be dealt with during the site plan review process. And I think I caught in there one of your points was if you did leave areas that are within the 100-year floodplain undeveloped, right. um, you would, of course, have the benefit of the natural drainage course that would stay there. And so if you limited, in some ways, if you, bend, if you limit the clustering of the development or if you cluster the development and limit the geographic scope of that area, it could be a benefit to the creek because you have a lot more um, pervious area yeah. that could seep up water and, and function right. in its natural state. That's where I'm going with my uh -huh. questions and trying to understand. Yeah. Okay, I'll let other people ask. Let's talk about that little strip. How wide is that? It seems like it's smaller than that driveway, so I'm really... It's a driveway. Correct. It is. It a, is. I believe it's... A dirt, it's, it's a dirt... Is uh, it a dirt road there? Okay. Correct. I believe it's 30 feet, but I think the applicant, when they get up here, they'll be able to confirm that for us. Okay. Yeah. If you drive so by... They, okay, so they're probably looking for that for B access. All right. Um, what was the township zoning on this It was... Um, I don't know the exact designation. I do know it was residential. Residential. Though. Okay. Oh, when was this annexed into the city? Um, so approval of the annexation, it's, it's actually been a bit of um, work going back and forth with the um, Office of the Great Seal at the state, but the final approval was earlier this year. Okay, thank you. Uh -huh. Any other? Oh, I'm sorry. One more question. Okay, on the floodplain portion, kind of tell me about some of the requirements if they do build on that. It, I guess I'm looking more, do they have to give notification to the household or if they build a house there, is there notification given to the potential buyer that that is in the front plane? So there's a, a few mechanisms that would all kind of get to that point. So uh, if they were to develop in that floodplain, they'd of course have to go through um, the Department of Environment and the Great Lakes okay. and Energy Eagle, formerly the Michigan DEQ. <laughs> um, but they would have to go through and get a, a permit that would allow them to build within that 100-year floodplain. If they were building, if they're bringing in any additional fill to support any of that <coughs> development, that would all have to be part of the calculations and those permits are only given if you can determine that there's no adverse effect on surrounding properties as well as properties upstream um, or downstream from you upstream from you because of course you'd be backing water up if you're having additional fill that's there um, so there would be that regulatory process that would take place um, if you were again within the 100 year floodplain and someone was going to choose to buy a property say if it was a single family home or a duplex or something that they would be purchasing um, there may be flags that come up as part of the purchasing process through the mortgage company and others that would ultimately indicate that it is within the 100 year floodplain so there's a bit of mechanisms that would all go into notifying potential property owners now if this was a rental situation you wouldn't have those same type of mechanisms um, but you would have um, them on the more on the ownership side that makes sense. All right, thank you. Okay, any other questions for Grant? To the extent you know, do you know what that fill is composed of? I do not, no, mm -hmm. but I think the applicant may be able to speak to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Okay, any other questions? All right, I'm set, thanks. Okay, this is a public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there anyone that'd like to speak? Please come, state your name and address if you would, please. Good evening, my name is Mike Rubicki with MLR Engineering. Uh, along with me is Wes Osman, the uh, owner of uh, Osman Reynolds the, for the project that's in front of you tonight. Um, 
we're excited to follow what we think the master plan uh, asked for on this piece of property. So uh, that's the uh, the zoning that uh, uh, we put in front of the commission and now the council tonight uh, to answer a couple of quick questions that I, I may have heard sitting as you were talking with staff. Uh, the site plan itself uh, is a process we'll get to, but if, if we were to look forward, we, we don't have any intent to, to uh, build any residential structures within the floodplain. At this point, it'll all be clustered on the high ground. Uh, and secondly, in reference to stormwater, uh, we will be regulated through your stormwater ordinance, um, which is a good thing to uh, pre-development conditions. So we won't outlet any more water than uh, goes to the creek today at that rate. So um, those will be the processes we go through with the city staff and the planning commission, but uh, just to try and answer those in a, in a quick, uh, quick version. But we'd be happy to answer any other questions. So I heard you say no intent um, to build in the floodplain, and so you'll cluster everything on the high ground. That's correct. So clustering then means you can put six pieces on a, or per, acre. a per acre instead of three, which is just because we don't know how to determine where the acres lines are really. Well, how do I answer that? It's uh, we committed to three three units per acre over the 25 acres. Uh, we'll be. What, at least what we've got penciled on the site plan so far will be under that um, and uh, as we understand the ordinance allows up to up to 10 units per acre if you were to uh, go even though the ordinance doesn't doesn't ask you to consider just high ground it can ask you to consider the entire piece of property if we were to take the floodplain out of the equation we're still somewhere around six so uh, we're far below what the, the ordinance prescribes as a uh, maximum density in these units that you're talking about are they single-family dwellings are they uh, they will not be they'll be uh, six units or less so there'll be a layout that uh, puts those together they'll be uh, so it could be six six units or less on an acre no no six, the, the building structures will be six six units or less whether they're duplexes fourplexes or sixplexes but they won't be anything longer than that The, the, the math as far as units per acre will still on, on the on the high ground itself will be somewhere around six on the entire property is three. Okay. Technically okay. slightly less than three. Yeah. We have proposed seventy two units on the twenty five acres, which is less than three units per acre. So does the high ground include the fill area? Yeah, that's all that that whole area is is it looks topographically flat. Yeah, that's when I looked at it, it looks flat, yeah, but it's yeah, fields, so you can't tell yeah. quite. Yeah, it's all it's all flat ground. Okay. The the uh, so so it goes to the my question that I asked earlier, which is okay. So that includes fill. Do you know what you're getting into if you start? Yes, it's all digging been tested. In? It's all been tested. Yep, okay. it's all been tested, and the uh, the foundations to, for these buildings will be all structurally designed to uh, accommodate that uh, uh, that fill. And none of the residential units will be in the filled area. Oh, okay. Okay, it'll be an interesting structure uh, setup. <laughs> it actually fits in there a lot better if, than you think. If you've seen the site plan, we already have the site plan. Okay. Okay. Any other questions for the applicant? Thank you. Okay. Thank okay, you. Great. Thanks. Any other comments? On behalf of the petition, any opposed? 
Okay, seeing none. We'll close the public hearing. Selena, would you please read the resolution? This resolution will approve a request from Osmond Rentals to rezone the property known as 7701 Sturgeon Avenue from Township Zoning to RB Multiple Family Residential with conditions. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay. okay, we have a first and second discussion. You know what, it follows the master plan. Um, I think it's good they put their additional conditions on to, you know, what could have been, so it actually limits it. And, um, you know, the fact they know that they're going to have to address stormwater, especially with that being in the 100-year floodplain, I kind of figured that was going to be addressed, so I didn't ask a question because that's part of the standard process, so I support it. Yeah. As they probably kind of figured out, we're kind of touchy about <laughs> anything near the floodplain and everything. But I, in talking with them, I, I feel comfortable with what they got. Site plans are probably going to be setting the restrictions and okay. stuff on that, and we'll, we'll have to go from there. So, but just for the land use and the zoning decision on that, I feel comfortable with it. Yeah, I mean, 100-year floodplain's nice, but we're kind of mostly dealing with 500-year flood. I don't know whether this was underwater or not during the 2017 flood. It, it very well could have been. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn a little bit because obviously it's a, it's a piece of private property. They're complying with the ordinances they exist, but it's also, you know, nonetheless going to be taking up some ability of, of the soil to absorb uh, rain and, fl and runoff when uh, when we do have another event like that. So, um, and these folks may may get flooded, you know, nonetheless. Um, so, uh, but you know, it does agree with all the other components. All right. Any other discussion? Ready to vote? Okay. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed. Okay, that passes 4-0. Okay. All right, that takes us now down to um, zoning petition number 627. And again, Grant. All right. So zoning petition number 627 is actually um, on behalf of, um, or the petitioner is F.A. Panasic um, LTD uh, for property located at 300 Joseph Drive. It's actually a portion of the entire property at 300 Joseph Drive. Um, and the subject area of the petition is just over 3.2 acres. Um, currently, it's an office service zoning district, and what's proposed is RC Regional Commercial. <laughs> Taking a look at the site itself, it's just off the intersection, just to the east of the intersection of Joe Mann, Joseph, and Jefferson Avenue. Um, you have Wildfire Credit Union, which was the subject of a recent zoning petition just off to the west. Um, there is a portion of the property that's being proposed to be left as office service zoning, which is what you see um, not highlighted here in yellow and have um, uh, the evergreen trees and other um, vegetation that's on it. Just off to that is Ivy Terrace, which is a senior housing facility. Um, to the north, you have Cloa Lane, uh, which is property planned and zoned for high-density residential. And then to the northwest is Bickford Senior Living, of course, which was the subject of a recent zoning petition, as well as a site plan that was approved for expansion of that facility to the north. When we zoom in on the site, uh, the subject area is currently vacant other than uh, natural vegetation, uh, by and large a field, very similar to the last petition, although um, no known fill or uh, previous soil mining on this one. 
Um, this, of course, is on the north side of the soccer complex, and so what you see to the south here in the grass area um, is the fields that abut it um, down to the south. When we look at the zoning district, um, you can see this little area that's been added in. Um, this was zoning, our zoning uh, petition approval 624, which did approve the expansion of the regional commercial zoning district onto this side of Jefferson um, to the extent of the wildfire credit union property. This would be a continuation of that extension of RC regional commercial, and that'll make a little bit more sense when I go to the next map with future land use, but to talk a little bit more about the zoning districts that surround, you have office service, which would um, be off to the east, as well as to the northwest. You have RB, which is the uh, multiple family residential. To the south, you have community, uh, which is the extent of the soccer complex, and just off to the west, um, northwest, as well as um, southwest, you do have the RC regional commercial zoning district. When we look at the master plan and the future land use map, um, you may recall this was, this was an area that was discussed um, at length during the updating process back in 2018. It was the request of the, of the property owner and as well as the applicant this evening to have this designation changed to allow and facilitate a, um, residential or regional commercial zoning in this um, piece of the property. Uh, their vision was always to maintain a small buffer on the site. Um, that would buffer it from the residential use, which is Ivy Terrace and the senior housing facility that's there. So what you see is, is a, a petition that's following uh, the change that was made back in 2018 to the future land use map. When we look at the intent of the regional commercial district, uh, this is the city's most intensive commercial district. It's intended to provide a diversity of retail, service, entertainment, office, finance, and other related business uses, uh, not only to serve the residents of the city, but also the region, and that it's important that regional commercial have access to major and minor thoroughfares, and that uses should be buffered away from residential uses. When we look at permitted uses by rights in this zoning district, you have automobile dealerships, fuel and gas stations, hotels, professional offices, retail sales, and restaurants. Going into the review criteria, first one being as the proposed master plan consistent with the city's master plan, staff and the planning commission believe the answer to this was yes and point back to the update that was done in 2018. Will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of the zoning ordinance? Believe the answer to this is yes and again point back to um, the fact that the zoning ordinance is really intended to um, further the principles established by the master plan and this being in line with the master plan effectively does that. Have conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted that justifies the amendment? Staff will answer this is yes. They point and we point to in the planning commission, but we all point to the um, update of the master plan, the changes to the future land use designation, um, not only on the commercial side of things, but also the office service extension that was done as part of the Bickford Senior Living Project. Um, ahead of that zoning petition. Will the amendment merely grant uh, special privileges? I believe the answer to this is no, and point to the updating of the city's master plan that establishes the vision, and this would be simply fulfilling that vision. Um, it's also applying a zoning designation that's used commonly and extensively in this part of the city. Will the amendment result in an unlawful exclusionary zoning? I believe the answer to this is no and that, again, point to the standardization of the Regional Commercial District and its extension um, onto this property. Will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? Mm -hmm. The answer to this is no, and again, point to the vision that's established by the city's master plan and specifically the future land use map. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the surrounding zoning classification um, of the surrounding land? And believe the answer to this is yes, and we point to the regional commercial district that is off to the west and around the intersection of, of Jefferson and Joe Mann and um, Joseph. 
We also believe it's compatible with the office service districts that would be to the north as well as stay in existence to the east and then the community districts to the south. When it comes to the residential zoning district to the north, RB, um, believe that that is a district that's used to buffer between commercial and lighter densities of residential and so believe that it is consistent with um, the RB which is the higher density residential. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of the surrounding land and the city's master plan? Believe the answer to this is yes and again point to the discussion that was had back in 2018 um, and that included lands uh, related to office service use, high density residential, community use as well as commercial. Could all requirements in the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the subject site? Believe the answer to this is yes. Point to the size of the site that's being rezoned um, and therefore believe that it would be able to meet all of those requirements. And then lastly, is the proposed zoning consistent with trends in land development in the general vicinity of the property in question? Believe the answer to this is yes. And we point to the expansion of Bickford Senior Living um, as well as the additional commercial development that's taken place a little bit farther down Joe Man, um, but certainly making its way further towards the east, away from Eastman Avenue over the years, um, and that this would be a logical extension of that commercial designation and facilitate additional commercial development around that intersection of Joseph and Jefferson and Joe Man. So regarding public comments, we have received two communications. One was in support and one was in um, indicating no opposition. Those are both from uh, surrounding property owners. One being in support was from Bickford Senior Living. One indicating no opposition was Ivy Terrace. And with that, the Planning Commission did vote uh, unanimously to recommend approval, uh, pointing to the proposed zoning being in line with the city's master plan and the future land use map, that the proposed zoning amendment is appropriate given trend in development in the area that the proposed RC regional commercial designation is characterized by proximity to the high volume traffic corridors of Jefferson, Joman, and Joseph. And then lastly, that the proposed rezoning maintains a buffer of office service between the new RC regional commercial and the multiple family residential developments and office service zoning that exists further to the east. Uh, with that, tonight is the public hearing. The Planning Commission did hold their public hearing back on April 23rd. And with that, Mayor, I will entertain any questions. All right, any questions for Mr. Marshall? So this was initiated because the applicant didn't want office service, they want regional commercial? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the impetus for that was? I mean, I know when we did the wildfire credit union, they had an issue with the sign. They couldn't put a big enough sign or something like that. So. Mm -hmm. Is this another sign issue or do we have something else going on here? This, so this wouldn't be a sign issue. I think um, by and large what's been articulated to us not only now under the uh, really the context of the zoning petition but back to when the master plan was being discussed was this concept of wanting to allow for um, additional opportunity for development um, which would be liberalized under commercial zoning as opposed to office service. So you'd have more opportunity for development potential there. The discussion also at that time with the master plan was really about the idea of Jefferson, Joman, and, and um, uh, Joseph to act as a commercial node. We have a lot of commercial nodes within the city and close proximity to those interse intersections is a logical location for um, commercial development. So it's more of a impetus and the applicant certainly can speak a little bit more but our understanding is just about future development mm -hmm. opportunity for this site. So just a broader range of things that can be built? Correct, yep. So the consideration this evening certainly should be um, for what would be allowed by right or conditional use or otherwise within the, the RC district. Okay. Okay, any other questions for me? Okay, we're set, thank you very much.
This is a public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there any comments on behalf of the petition? Patrick Knosik, uh, 2525 North Eastman Road, Midland. I feel compelled to have to say a few words here on behalf of this. First of all, I, I want to just mention it's been a pleasure for us. I'm just a minor, minority member and owner of uh, F.A. Panasic, but uh, it's a pleasure for us always to work with the city staff, and I truly mean that. Uh, very progressive. Um, hasn't always been that way, but for the last number of years it has. This property we've owned, uh, just so you know, this isn't a short-sighted view here. We've owned this property for 78 years, since 1939. We've been on this journey for about the last 22 years on the development of this property, um, first with the apartment complex at the end of Joseph Drive. I should start off uh, with the road, providing additional access to Dow Chemical and, and all the development that's taken place along uh, Joseph Drive. So we're trying to take a long-term view of this and uh, property and area specifically. You know, the, there are a few projects uh, planned for the west side of uh, Jefferson. Uh, property has been purchased, and we think this is a logical extension. We've started this process a while ago, went through the um, land use master plan. We think it's good. We've talked to the neighbors, uh, specifically, as Brad mentioned, those mostly impacted. Uh, not Brad, excuse me. <laughs> Grant, sorry, might have been Brad in another day. Um, so we've talked to them, and, and they've given either their support or no opposition to it. And with the with the point, and I won't bring up the, the map again, but we are uh, maintaining 205 foot of office service. Number one, because we think it'll be needed. Number two, it does provide that buffer. Uh, Joseph Drive also provides a buffer to the north. But in addition, to that we have received support from Bickford Village, which would be directly across the street. So we think this is the best zoning for this 415, 10 to 15 feet. And again, we'd maintain the 205 foot office service to the east. If there are any questions, I'm certainly would be glad to attempt to address them. So why doesn't office service work for you? It's limited in nature and uh, from the aspect of use. And with some discussion with um, uh, other um, entities in Midland that's likely to draw other people in the area, it appears that the uh, regional commercial is what will be needed next. We've had the office service property available for development, and we probably will have it for the next number of years until a suitable project comes into place. So for this 410 foot, we think it's in the highest and best use of the property. Okay, thank you. Okay. Anyone else like to speak on the behalf of the petition? Any opposed? Okay, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing and Selena, would you please read the resolution? This resolution approves a request from F.A. Panasic Limited to rezone a portion of the property known as 300 Joseph Drive from OS Office Service to RC Regional Commercial. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So move. Second. Hey, discussion. I support it. Um, I don't have any issues with it. Where I do have a comment, though, and it's not related to the zoning, once we start developing out there, we're going to have to seriously start looking at, you know, what the next steps are for Jefferson, Joe Mann, and Joseph. Because it's quite congested now, 
And as we have more development coming, it's going to have to be addressed. Well, we currently have a plan going on that right we now, do. Kurt. Yeah, so. yeah. Bigger bridge. <laughs> but uh, I don't really have, I guess, too many comments other than I'm, I'm real curious now what regional commercial will bring to that spot. Okay. Okay. All right. Ready to vote? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 4-0. And I guess at some point there will be more to come. All right, now, now that takes us down to public comment. This is an opportunity for people to address council on issues that are relevant to council business, but not on the agenda. So I just would like to make a comment about how this works. This is really um, a time for people to talk about something that they feel is important to talk about related to council. Um, it's not a back and forth conversation. It really is an opportunity for us to listen and hear what people have to say. So with that, is there any public comment this evening? Good evening. Good evening. The blue mat, right? Yeah. <laughs> Name and address, too. Name and address. Joan Brouch, 106 Coventry Court. Uh, I'm going to just read this because I did not memorize it. Uh, and I'm sorry I'm a month late for these comments. Um, this is to Brad and to the City Council. I'm concerned that the council and city staff are ignoring messages they are receiving about the road diet. I'm wondering why we're moving forward with, with something that so many dislike intensely. I've always been one to encourage our council and planning commission to see Midland as a whole, as you look at plans to improve areas of the city. If we want a place that's eminently walkable, I would encourage you to look at the circle area, where hundreds of people already walk to work and to shop and to play every day, and they cross Saginaw Road four lanes of busy traffic, 22,000 vehicles a day. Why is that area not receiving even more help than it needs to become more viable? Why are we not <coughs> looking to improve housing for people? Why are we not tearing down buildings that are dangerous and empty? Midland is more than downtown. However, my greatest concern is the transparency of information about this project. I remember clearly the presentations made about the East End and other plans for downtown, including putting the farmer's market in Putnam Park. Many people asked, whose idea is this? Who's paying for this? Who's pushing for these changes? Who will make these promises real? The, promise, the process was not without problems. The East End has not become the small shop restaurant building on the first floor we were promised. The issue of Putnam Park was handled very badly by the city and the baseball association and created much unnecessary ill will. We have seen a new streetscape created for three blocks downtown, which cost millions of dollars and is reaping benefit to the downtown area and merchants. It's a great place to hang out and there are some fun new stores there. However, things keep happening and being planned and we hear about them piecemeal like the road diet. What's the real end of the game here? Who is behind the push to change a state highway? It is not a local road. 
a state highway artery which is busy into two-lane roads, two two-lane roads. Are we planning to move truck traffic somewhere else, down Eastman? The people on Eastman Road will love that. We hear a lot about the Baseball Foundation being involved along with many of our other local foundations. I would hope that all the foundations will be transparent in their donations to downtown projects. And it is my sincere hope that individuals on their boards will not personally benefit from their generosity to our city. Thank you. This is All right. Marie, if I could make one comment uh, in response to this. Um, I think there were several questions posed here that um, some of them were duplicative mm -hmm. of what we heard uh, at the last meeting, and some of them perhaps are new. Brad, if I could ask that you add maybe what's included here in terms of questions to the questions that I think you're taking forward to come back to council, with, with the council and the community with responses. We certainly can do that. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, that now takes us to item number five, which is um, well, actually item number five and, and number six, has to, six have to do with uh, the first reading of the ordinance for um, sewer and water. This will be one presentation, and Mr. Frizzi is here to help us with that this evening. Good evening, Mayor, City Council. I'm here to make the 2019-2020 proposed water and sewer rates introduction and first reading. Get this. My first time with this, sorry if I'm a little rusty in here. Oops, how do I just move forward with this? What's that? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. If Tad can help me out here. What's that? Oh, down here? Yeah, on, on the keyboard. On oh, the keyboard. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. There you go. All right. So review each year of the city's water and sewer rates as required by the City of Midlands Ordinance. Periodic changes are necessary to keep pace with increasing operating costs, water and sewer system capacity improvements, and to maintain healthy and working capital balances in the water and wastewater <coughs> enterprise funds. This is the first reading of the, of the proposed 1920 ordinance amendments for the water enterprise fund and for the wastewater enterprise fund. Um, to show you what we're proposing this year, 4.5% increase for water and 2.5% increase for sewer. And here's a kind of a display of what previous years have been. Um, a graph showing you the number of meter customers the city has. Uh, been flat over the last few years. Uh, another graph showing you the different types of meters we have in the city. Majority of these are three quarter inch and one inch residential connections uh, with a small amount around 5% of one and a half inch and greater than two inch for non-residential non purposes. So just kind of get to show you a little bit about how this would affect the bills. So proposed water rates for a three quarter inch meter a typical bill is 15 units. You'll see there we'll go from $59.86 uh, with the rate increase will go to $62.55, increase of $2.69 or the 4.5%. Uh, 
Uh, keep in mind that bill is proposed of two, two main items. One, the readiness, readiness to serve charge, which is your flat rate based on the size of the connection. And then two, your commodity charges, which is based upon the amount of water uh, per thousand gallons that's being consumed. So if I were to take that for the one inch, a one inch meter, with an average quarterly bill of 20 units, you'll see there an increase of $3.57, or about 4.5%. Um, here's a list of all the different size meters we have and how much those, those readiness to serve amounts would go up uh, if this were to be approved. And on the bottom, you see for each 1,000 gallons of water to use, your commodity charge will go from $1.53 to $1.67. So now we move to the sewer, sewer rates. Proposed sewer rates for a three-quarter inch meter. Uh, typical bill is around 15 units, and we'll go from $85.47 to $87.61, or a change of $2.14, and goes to our 2.5%. This is based upon the same readiness to serve charge and the commodity charges, just like the drinking water bills. I'll take that to a one inch. You see there above 20 units. Uh, typical bill is 20 units. That bill will go up $2.81 um, or 2.5%. Here's another list again of, for the sewer side of your different size meters and how much those readiness to serve charges will go up. Then on the bottom, your, your uh, price per thousand gallons from 241 to 248. So most users in the city have drinking water and wastewater. So for a combined bill for a three-quarter inch meter, uh, typical bill about 15 units, you'll see an increase of $4.83 per quarter for a combined drinking water and sanitary sewer bill. For a one-inch meter combined bill comparison, typical bill around 20 units, you'll see we're going to go up at about $6.38 per quarter, or about 3.3%. Patrick, a unit is 1,000 gallons? That is correct. Just a graph kind of showing you where we are within the, within the region for our, our costs. Um, for a three-quarter inch meter combined bill comparison, you see we are well below Bay City and Saginaw, a little bit above Mount Pleasant. Uh, but keep in mind Mount Pleasant has a little bit different rate structure. And you'll see that as the consumption goes up, our rates are fairly comparable to Mount Pleasant. And if I go to a one-inch meter, we're actually a little bit below uh, the Mount Pleasant line and still well below Saginaw and Bay City for our, our rates. The second reading adoption of the 2019-2020 proposed water and sewer rate ordinance amendment is scheduled for June 24, 2019. The rate ordinances shall take effect on July 1, 2019. Are there any questions? One slide that shows the previous years. Sure. The, about the, uh, the percent, percent increases? Yep. Sure. Right there. Yeah. So I think we're learning a lesson here. Because that's a huge jump compared to the past, but then we didn't have an increase at all anything. last year. We stayed steady we at did. the two. Mm -hmm. Well, if you recall, last year there were some uh, rate adjustments that came from the Saginaw Michigan uh, Water Supply Corporation right. that caused us that we were originally proposing it at two when we dropped it because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, now as we move forward, the higher rate increase is necessary yeah. this year. Okay. And the increase, I mean, basically that, that funding is going to be used for improvements at the water plant and, and the piping in, within the city? Is that? 
I don't know if it's specified for one or two certain things, but there are a lot of legislation changes this year that are requiring, um, and we have to identify every every service line in the city to determine if it's lead and copper. There are a lot of additional things coming down the road, so I don't know if it's specified to one or two things, but there are certainly plenty of items to, to be done uh, with the rate increases. I guess I'm distinguishing between expenditures that are spent within the city as opposed to the, the raw water we're purchasing from the the, the Saginaw Midland uh, correct. system. Correct. It was spent within the city and city infrastructure. That is correct. Not on the Saginaw Midland Bay Water Supply Because that, that pricing has basically been constant, I think. Correct. Or maybe even down. Uh, we're, not, we're not down, but we're, we're more or less constant, a very slight, I think, uptick so, this particular year. Patrick actually hit on the main reason for the 4.5% this year is the lead and copper rules that have come out by the state, which require every time we touch a lead or copper supply line that we not only deal with it at the connection, but we replace the line all the way into the private residence at this point in time. So there's a necessity to have funding for that as we do water projects. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah. Any other questions for Patrick? And that started last year, didn't it? Wasn't it late last year Sometime that came up? Yeah. The exact timing of it, but yep. um, about the middle of the summer, I believe, uh, I'll, quite frankly, in the middle of some of our projects, those requirements and rules kicked mm -hmm. in, and we started to immediately have some costs and impacts because of that. Yeah. All right. Any other questions for Patrick? All right. Thank you. All right, thank you. Okay, thank you. So, is there any public comment on that? All right. So, this is first reading, and next. Just the first reading, there's no action necessary this evening. Um, we will bring it back at, uh, actually next week, on Monday when we come back, right. and that would be a second public hearing and second reading at that point for adoption. Okay, very good, thank you. All right. Well, it takes us down to do business. Did I miss an, did I miss an nope. Okay, down. Nope, that's where we're at. Any new business for you, Mr. K? Um, actually, if you'll indulge me, I do want to just highlight one issue or not an issue, actually, a very good story that came out. Um, it's not new business for council, but if you've been following the social media accounts of the city, um, we had an employee in our utility department last week who um, basically stepped up, um, quite frankly, did the right thing, an ethical behavior where he had found uh, an envelope, quite frankly, containing $1,200 um, in it laying on the sidewalk. And, and through himself, together with the cooperation of the police department, he went through the, uh, the effort and the initiative to find the owner of that. We were lucky enough there was a card in there that helped us do that and return the funds to, uh, to that individual. So um, it's, it would have been one of those easy things, just to slip it away in a pocket and, there, and nobody would have ever known. Um, but once again, our employees stepped up, they did the right thing, demonstrated the integrity that we expect of them. Um, and so his name is Matt Knott. He works in their utility department. and. Um, I'll, I have a plan to, sp to speak to him. I don't uh, have been able to do so yet, but we just learned of that on Friday. So I'd like to call him out. He'll, he, I'm not sure he'll hear this or know about it, but I'll certainly make him aware of uh, the appreciation we have for his actions. I think that's wonderful, and I think that's great that you do that because that is what we hope from kind of behavior that we hope all of us would exhibit. Exactly. You know, placed in that same situation, so thanks for that. All right, any other new business? All right, seeing none, we don't need a motion to adjourn. We're adjourned. <laughs>
This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland. 